Good evening, everyone. Love to see some faces. Thank you. And we'll wait a few minutes to see if, if a few people drop in and then we'll start sitting. And while your faces are on the screen, perhaps you could unmute and say good evening to each other. Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hi, Holly. Great to see all of you. Hi, Howie. How Mary? Hi. Hey, Jill. Uh, low Regina. <laughs> Hi, Mary. Thank you, Howie, for co-hosting tonight. It's the Howie team. <laughs> okay. Looks like we're starting slow, so we'll give the secret teachings now, and anybody that drifts in late will miss them. That's right. There are no secret teachings. That's the secret teaching. So we will be the welcome wagon for those who drift in. I'd like to invite all of you to find your comfortable posture, comfortable position, like to invite you to notice right now that you are aware that you're conscious. The consciousness is present. Notice how natural it is to be conscious, aware, uncreated, sometimes called unborn. It's ever-present wakefulness and clarity. Now notice how effortless you can feel your sitting body that you likely feel as sensations, as shape, as form as aliveness, as vibration. Just notice how that fills your awareness effortlessly. And how effortlessly your awareness fills your body from the top of your head to the tips of your toes and fingers. We'll devote ourselves in some way to bringing awareness together with the body. So it's just one thing. Coming to a single pointedness, just here. Good news is you do not have to go anywhere, don't have to do anything or undo anything. Just be 
aware, embodied. Let the body guide you to a calm abiding. Even if the body is agitated, tense, tired, just let it call you here. Once you are aware, feeling the sitting body, you're likely to notice the gentle movements, the sensations that arise with each breath. You'll likely notice the breath as it moves in and out of the nostrils, as the chest or belly rises and falls, just a subtle expanding and contracting of the whole body. Just letting your attention be filled with this experience of the body breathing. Coming so close or intimate with the breath, sticking to it. It empties your mind of its, all its preoccupations. Empties it with the feeling of the in-breath, empties it with the feeling of the out-breath. So you're here. You're not imagining to be somewhere else. You're actually experiencing your life, not the idea of it, but the felt sense. Just this moment, just this breath. Just this awareness. No shadow of a past or a future. These are just ideas. It's just this simple reality, senses open, welcoming. Letting the joy of aliveness and being present arise, if it will. In other words, enjoy the body's breath. Enjoy the sense of being aware. Enjoy the momentary freedom from preoccupations. Incline the heart toward joy, happiness, and well-being. Grateful for this existence. 
Just this moment. Just whatever you're experiencing. Sounds, sensation, whatever mood may be present, or the residue of some mood, just make space for all of it. It's great, vast, sky-like nature of your mind. Make room for thoughts and images to float through like clouds. Everything welcome. Just knowing what's here. Just knowing that we don't know what will happen next. Just this moment.
no matter how many times you realize you've lost touch with real-time awareness, lost in thought, each time you recognize it is a sign that mindfulness has returned. A chance to enjoy the reawakening, enjoy the, the gentle reconnection of attention with the body, clear comprehension presently arising experience or breath. And the simplifying of our life, just this moment, just this breath, just what's predominant. non-interfering awareness of things just the way they are. Be aware.
begin the practice right now. Even if there's dullness, acknowledge it. No, this is dullness. If there's restlessness or agitation, no, this is restlessness. Make space for whatever's present. And then begin again every moment. It's a new beginning. Awareness, body, breath. Just be here. Nothing to fix, nothing to figure out. Just being aware of things as they are.
Thanks for being here this evening, helping to calm all of us to stop, to keep quiet, to look within. Can't think of a better time to practice harvest moon. It was like the natural time to begin to turn inward. To start to lean toward hibernation, seclusion, simplifying, rest. Of course, any day is a good day for that. But this is a natural time of year to, as the light changes, to just be drawn to slow down a little bit. It seems like it's not really an organic expression of our nature to start shopping for Christmas or whatever it is that speeds up and complicates our lives at a time of the year where we're naturally drawn to the darkness. Anyway, that's been that's what's been on my mind. I brought along a couple poems tonight, seasonal, but I thought that perhaps Howie could, the other Howie could make a few of our Mission Dharma announcements and then take a little sacred pause and then I'll get into some Dharma mischief. Anyway, great to be with you. Uh, hello, everybody. Um, I want to talk about um, some upcoming events that Howie's going to be offering. And then um, Donna. So uh, there's going to be uh, two things that Howie's doing soon. Uh, one of them very soon this weekend. Um, it's called A Case of Mistaken Identity, an online half-day retreat with Howie this Saturday. And it's starting at 9 a.m. West Coast time from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. West Coast time. And uh, I have just finished a retreat with Howie. And I don't know if you have. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have. But it, for those who have not, um, I recommend it very highly. That's why we're all here. Uh, and I put uh, something in the chat. Uh, so you can click on it and, and it, you can find out about it. It's also, I'm sure it was in the reminder letter and I'm sure it's on the website too. Uh, then on October 2nd and 3rd, also on Zoom, there's going to be a two-day insight meditation retreat, which is, um, that's the one that's being uh, given in, in, you know, for Prescott, Arizona folks, but uh, that which we are invited to, if I'm not mistaken. And that's also in the, uh, that, that's a two day, so it's twice the fun. And it's uh, also available for you to click on in, in, the, in the chat. 
Also, I only found that recently. You can save the chat. Uh, I forgot how you do it, but you know, in case you didn't want to bother copying all this down now, it's. I think you just click those three dots in the bottom of the chat. Um, so those are the upcoming events. And shall I mention Donna now, Howie? Or, or? sure. Okay. Well, Donna, uh, I have to tell you. Um, I think Donna is. Uh, well, I guess what I should say is what it means is, or the Pali word Don means generosity, and it, it's it's a it's a fundamental of the practice. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar, it speaks to the fact that um, the teachings are transmitted freely um, by the teachers, and that uh, we. And that includes Howie and, and everybody who you'll ever take a, take, take a retreat with or something. And then Mission Dharma is actually propelled or s s s sustained by volunteerism. The board is volunteer, the helpers are volunteer, Howie's volunteer. And so the way that we manage to keep the word going, the way that we are able to forward the teaching, the Dharma, is by contributing either in, in person or now because that's impossible. Uh, there are ways to contribute your generosity with money through, you know, online. And I have included some ways that you can do that too, uh, PayPal, Venmo. But basically it's what the, it's a fundamental of why we're here. And my new motto is let's put some fun in fundamentalism. So, you know, I mean, what I mean by that is I find it that I feel privileged to be able to, I mean, for those of us who can afford it, uh, I, I feel very privileged to be able to help to have this, these teachings be transmitted. So that's my, that's my little soapbox about, uh, about Donna. And sorry if I took too long. Um, so I'll put up a little um, image of how you can uh, also uh, look at Donna if during the break, if, if you think that's a good idea, Howie. Sure. Just about three minutes. We'll take three minutes now to you can put that up and you can take a bio break if you need and then we'll continue. Thank you, Howie. That was lovely. And, and thank you in advance for your generosity. Are you attempting to share the screen? To... I certainly am attempting, Howie. <laughs> if, you'd like me, if you'd like me to do it, I can. Yes, please. Okay. I'm not great at this. Oops. One moment. Still, it should be on the, um, the, the uh, chat. It should be there already. I know. Oops. Share screen.
Thanks for sticking around. I have to admit I'm getting used to being back here. I missed the last two weeks. And in those two weeks, I had the good fortune of leading the retreat that Howie was on. And then I led a week-long retreat, both in person at Spirit Rock, which was, of course, joyous to be in person, but also um, bittersweet in that everyone still was required to be masked, so I couldn't see people's smiles. And, and then so much appreciated being able to see each of you each week saying hello, goodbye, and smiling when something touched your heart or just being together. So in every condition, whether it's in person, like, like I had a lot of longing to be in person, or on uh, Zoom, our experience is inevitably marked by <laughs> what the Buddha called unsatisfactoriness. Something that's not quite meeting our ideals necessarily, or what we want to happen. And this is why the emphasis in the teachings is learning the quality of equanimity that, that's born of the understanding that although I wish things were otherwise, things are the way they are. And, uh, and rather than compound the, the sometimes unpleasantness of the way it is by complaining about it, or judging it, or wishing it were otherwise, we just meet it. We create the conditions, the internal conditions of non-contentiousness, of non-reactivity. We just open ourselves to life the way it is. In that way, then, if there's anything to be done about anything, it's a, it's a response of the heart rather than a, 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 a jangled, reactive, angry, or frustrated, or or clinging response to the conditions that we may not find ideal. So just that little bit of time tonight, putting your mind and your body and your body and your mind, locating yourself here, letting your attention be open like the sky, just knowing the body is the body, breath is the breath, the mood is the mood, the thought is the thought, we plant the seed of non-reactivity. We plant the seed of equanimity, the seed of impartiality. It says, yes, I can experience this too. And in this way, we don't compound our stress. We don't compound the unsatisfactoriness with mental suffering. That's actually not what I intended to talk about it, but it, just to say it's really nice to be back and seeing the familiar faces of this community who I, I see um, more often than the wonderful groups of people that I had on retreat. But there's something about the family nature of 
of relationships that have lasted some of you 30 plus years that I'm actually seeing on the screen. And there's something very precious about that, the beauty of, of Sangha. I think one of the things I emphasize at the end of both retreats is that this, this lifelong unfolding of awakening, it doesn't work very well alone. I don't think anybody does it well alone. Of course, we all have to resolve our own individual conditions and circumstances and, and suffering, but uh, trying to do it all by ourselves just isn't, it isn't possible. And it so much glad has gladdened my heart over the, the many years uh, to to have company and just to keep reminding me, you know, I, even though I'm the one that's functioning in this role, I'm, I'm continually reminding myself of what I need to remember. Because it's very easy to devolve into the, into the outrage mind, into the reactive mind, into the um, mind that says, I cannot be happy unless things are different. But what we find, even in the middle of it all, that there, peace is possible, joy is possible, even when everything is unfinished in this world, that we continue, the, as they say it in, in Hebrew, tikkun, we continue the fixing of this vessel of, of life always, and just keep purifying our own hearts and minds so that we're so that we are able to have that quality of the heart, this unconfined capacity to, to be of service, to be caring, to be active. Um, but if if we're not resolving our own our own mental habits that just create more egoism, more individualism, more, more me, my mind. If we don't resolve that a little bit, we, uh, it's really hard to help. It's really hard to help. Really hard to be a, a beacon of, of sanity in the midst of so much greed and hatred and ignorance. So I hope all of us, and I tried to do this during the, the most challenging parts of COVID, the early parts, to say this is what we were trained for, conditions that are not to our liking. Conditions where everybody is freaking out and obsessing with how it's going to turn out and worried about what's next and, and how it's possible to realize that this whole unfolding is a moment at a time. Our whole life is a moment at a time. And I can handle that. Last one's gone. Next one has not happened. There's just this. And yogis like you like me, uh, can not through being busy teaching people, but just remind by our peaceful countenance, our peaceful presence, we can be uh, an example of peace in this world. As I'm over-quoting Sri Nisargadatta, where he says the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. 
long as people are the way they are, the world will be the way it is. If we want a peaceful world, we have to have peaceful people. Peace is not something we can impose on this world. It has to start with us. So thank you for your practice. So getting back to the harvest moon, got a few different streams running tonight. A Wendell Berry poem entitled The Wild Geese seems very appropriate. Another part of our practice, every time we practice, it's back to nature. Even just awareness is nature. Body and its senses and perception, it's nature. When we feel it, it's nature. And the practice reminds us we don't have to get back to nature out there, but we have to get back to our to nature as it's expressing itself in this human body. Wow. It's alive. It has sensations. It has these functions. It's miraculous. It's awesome. No one could ever explain it. It calls us to a sense of unity with all of life, right where it touches us. How amazing. The Tibetans use the word emaho. How amazing is that? That's why when the Zen master Hakuin says, how sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Those who turn and bear witness to nature, nature that isn't really definable or describable, but nature go far beyond any doctrine. And we realize that this body is the Buddha, this very place, the lotus land. Don't search any further. And then wild geese, because sometimes we do have to go out to nature to, to remind us of nature, of our nature. Horseback on Sunday morning, harvest over. We taste persimmon and wild grape, sharp sweet of summer's end. In time's maze over the fall fields, we name names that went west from here, names that rest on graves. We open a persimmon seed to find the tree that stands in promise, pale in the seed's marrow. Geese appear high over us, and I think of the geese when I see you, Jill. Geese appear high over us, pass, and the sky closes. Abandon as in love or sleep holds them to their way. Clear in the ancient faith. What we need is here. And we pray not for new earth or heaven, but to be quiet in heart and in eye clear. What we need is here.
one last nature poem before I shift streams. Again from Wendell Berry, The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and what my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. So even though we're online, we, we can touch into our nature, go back to nature. And every time we sit during the late seventies and eighties and some in the nineties, I used to spend the autumn three months in Massachusetts where at the three-month meditation retreat at the Insight Meditation Society. And you can imagine if you haven't been in that area, Massachusetts, New England is, is dramatic in the change of seasons and the way that the, the summer gives way to the autumn and the leaves change and it's quite dramatic. And then they drop, they fall off. And so there is a there is a very intimate sense of the the ephemeral, the the dreamlike, the the impermanent nature of this changing world, the spinning world. And in fact, because for some reason I I was. I guess I was being so close to it as it was happening. And when I say close to it, being in the middle of long practice periods, you, you become so sensitive and intimate to the, the little changing conditions that sometimes I can just zoom through my life and not really attune to this miraculous process called the seasonal change. It's this constant reminder of impermanence. And because I may have been confronting it in a way that I hadn't before, I started to have dreams during the retreat. And it was dreams of, of death, continual dreams of death, every family member dying, people all near and dear ones. And it was though everyone and, and the, my particular strange version, everybody has, lots of people have death dreams, but all the family members, they would parade in my consciousness it, in their most agreeable form. And then I would see them turn into skeletons. And 
someone, a teacher told me that it was just a certain phase of practice as part of what's called the progress of insight, where you start to see the dissolution of everything. But I was <laughs> quite overwhelmed by it. But it is in the direction of our practice that we come to terms with the impermanence of things, that we look it straight in the face and we, we come into harmony with things the way they are. Fact of our own demise. I had the most interesting conversation with a 29-year-old who's done a lot of practice. This 29-year-old who's done a, an enormous amount of practice started to engage in this notion because they, a neighbor of theirs was this notion of dying, you know, just the fact of dying. A neighbor of his had just been given a, um, a death sentence, just been given a certain amount of time that they were likely to live because of the arising of cancer. And he started to reflect, this person was given four months to a year, and he started to think about what he would do if he had four months to live. And he realized that there was nothing he wanted to accumulate, to acquire or experiences or relationships or anything. He just wanted to intensify the experience of waking up. Because he had seen from his practice, he had been a monk for a time during his earlier 20s. He had seen that there was no joy in this world that could even come remotely close to the joy of being awake and conscious and mindful and discerning and, uh, and the qualities of the heart and mind um, awakening. So I just hadn't heard someone of that age um, have, have that kind of um, that kind of wisdom, that kind of discernment, or just experience to say, there is nothing in this world, everything's beautiful in this world, but nothing in this world that can give lasting happiness and satisfaction because it's dreamlike, it's impermanent. Every day, as you probably have heard me talk about before, have heard others, every day in monasteries in Asia, Buddhist monasteries, there is some version of a, of a reflection of a chant on impermanence. And the one that's done in the Theravada tradition a lot is goes Anicca Vada Sankara Upadavaya Dhamino. I'll sing it. Anicca Vada Sankara Upadavaya Dhamino Upakitua Niruchanti Desang Upasamo Sukho. All things are impermanent, they arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. And it's the happiness of letting go, happiness of relinquishing this tight fist of grasping, the realization of the open and free heart 
the unborn mind that reveals itself when, um, when we let go of the, the clinging to things, to people, to situations, to this very body. So the conceptual mind, I think, benefits a lot because our habit is so much to be in self-deception about sickness, old age, and death, to be in denial or be in distraction about it, to, to just reflect about it gently, point, letting those words pierce our heart. All things are impermanent. They rise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings the fading of suffering, brings happiness, sukha. And from the, from a sutta, the Buddha says, thus shall we think of this fleeting world. A star at dawn, a bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, a flickering lamp, a phantom, and a dream. So the harvest moon reminds us another year. Another year where the past has passed. It's a dream. And the future is another dream, unborn. So that's where all this is a lead into wanting to riff a little bit tonight, if we have a few minutes on one of a uh, passage from one of my favorite teachers uh, named Atisha, who is from the 11th century and is famous for revitalizing and renewing uh, Buddhism in Tibet, traveling from India and being, um, having a huge influence on, on Tibetan Buddhism. And it was, it was very straightforward and his teachings were very much driven by, by mindfulness, by the heart of what we, what we do here. So this is the passage. The first line, I'll read the whole thing and then I'll, I'll play with it a little bit. Consider all phenomena to be dreams. It's a wonderful thing to walk around, to seeing this world as dreamlike. Real in that it's showing up, but unreal in that it changes and fades away. Consider all phenomena to be dreams. Be grateful to everyone. Don't be swayed by outer circumstances. Don't brood over the faults of others. Explore the nature of unborn awareness. At all times, simply rely on a joyful mind. Don't expect a standing ovation. So considering all phenomena, to be dreams, that's very similar to thus shall we think of this fleeting world, a star at dawn, bubble in a stream, a flash of lightning, a dream. But it's also the, the reminder of impermanence. And I think it naturally leads into 
be grateful to everyone. It is everyone. It's even you tonight that brought us all to this point. We've all impacted each other's lives. Be grateful to everyone. And I think, first of all, to this individuality that you are. This sentient being that may not exist independently apart from everything that's influenced you, but is uniquely individual. Just like the Buddha was uniquely individual. Very fierce and strong. Could argue a Dharma point with it's really he had Buddha-ness. <laughs> Just as, as you have, I see Nicole there, she has Nicole-ness, and Joel has Joel-ness, and Michael has Michaelness, and Jill has Jillness, Mary has Maryness. A kind of particularity in our existence. To be grateful that for our for this existence. Always think of Walt Whitman or Thoreau. It was Thoreau. I'm grateful for what I am and what I have. My thanksgiving is perpetual. It's surprising how contented one can be with nothing definite, just a sense of existence. Oh, how I laugh at my vague, indefinite riches where no run on my bank can drain it, where my wealth is not, is not possession, but enjoyment of being. So grateful for everyone, all, all that made that individuality, that made you. I think of what made me is, um, it has no beginning. Clearly, but if I just go a little far back, I, I get to my, my parents, my community, my grandmother, who, who was part of the Jewish diaspora, whose village was burned to the ground. So all the people of her community, the whole, the whole suffering world grateful to it all. It's what brought this creative process that brought this existence into being. I don't exist independently apart from that. And neither do you. Grateful for the difficult people. The people who I consider difficult because they they mirrored in me the places where I, where I could feel diminished, where I could forget my divinity, forget that I'm, that I'm the Buddha, that you're the Buddha. That people that reminded me that I can incarnate very easily as small and insignificant and and unworthy or not enough in some way. That's often the difficult person, the person that makes me, shows me that I'm, that my happiness has become dependent on someone else, on conditions. And shows me that I have not found that um, what 
Atisha says, don't be swayed by outer circumstances. Well, I'm grateful for those people that can knock me off my center. Grateful for all the Dharma influences, my teachers, my teachers' teachers. Just to reflect on this, just to awaken gratitude in the heart. I don't know if my wife, we're right now we're in, in two different cities temporarily, but she's shared with me a practice that she's been doing lately. It's not, it's not so much about grateful to everyone, but what she's been doing as a practice and is taking, listening to her mind and listening to that obligation mind that says, I have to do this. I have to go to work. I have to do this or that. And she's changing the wording to, I get to go to work. I get to do this. I get to do that. And she's making that a, a regular practice to change it to, I get to. I'm able to. I'm lucky enough to do that. And it's really a change in, in the way life is framed. And it's another way of practicing gratitude. I'm grateful to be able to be here tonight. I, had to, I have to admit earlier this afternoon, I had the thought, I have to do the Tuesday evening tonight. But I, I took her teaching and I said, I get to do the Tuesday evening. And you know, every time I'm here, it's a feast for me. But sometimes I think I have to do it. <laughs> so you probably have your version of that. So feel free to play with it. Just a few more minutes. Don't brood over the faults of others. So much judging, evaluating disliking, uh, it, it's very diminishing. I remember that one teaching about, uh, about anger or ill will or aversion is a, is a punishment that you give yourself, a punishment you give yourself for someone else's action. When we brood over the faults of others, and what the Dharma inclines us toward, the teachings incline us toward seeing that, that each of us, in some fundamental way, is doing the only thing we can do, the best we can. Because whatever, we, whatever action of body, speech, and mind up to this moment is informed by conditioning and conditions, and in fact, could not be any other way. And it's the sense of personalizing it, saying, I did this or they did this, attributing it to some agent within them, is the misperception that, that, that feeds that sense of blaming, judging, brooding over the faults of others. So even when you judge and brood over your own faults, what is the I that's being referred to? What is that I that's done it wrong? It should be different. It's just a thought. It's an idea. 
doesn't mean that that person's is not responsible for the the results of their actions. But blaming assumes that there is someone in control. And it could look through this mind and body from beginning from forever and never find that I, the one who you imagine you to be, all you would find were these changing conditions. And so, in fact, each of us is doing the best we can. And there is the felt experience of being somebody. And there is the appearance of a sense of agency. And we can, in those moments where we feel that, we can incline, we can incline toward training our minds, training our hearts, toward doing the best we can. But whether or not those actions happen the way that we want them to is beyond our will or wish. It's conditions. And that, this is to contemplate this and to, to reflect on it, not to adopt any belief about it, but to really understand that everybody's doing the best they can. Even the ones who are our so-called difficult person or enemy, they can't help themselves. And the forces of greed or hatred and ignorance are stronger than the forces of discernment and mindfulness. So I didn't get tonight to explore the nature of the unborn mind, but just even in these last few moments, and I didn't get to always rely on a joyful mind and don't expect a standing ovation, that don't expect a standing ovation. Just don't spend all your time trying to be good, better, best. Just wake up to this unborn awareness that you are. Wake up. Just notice that there's awareness here. And it is unborn. It's unconstructed. It is, you can't stop it. And yet when, when this is awakened to as your innermost nature, that opens you to all the heart qualities that flow from that, all the clarity that flows from that. So, as he says, explore the nature of unborn awareness. And of course, if you do that, then joy will follow you. Because it is, its natural expression is joy, love, clarity. And then you won't need a standing ovation. You, you will know, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, that you are the richest person on earth who when you were spinning and looking for an ovation, you, you were like a destitute child, as he puts it. He says, come home, reclaim your heritage. Explore the nature of the unborn mind that lives in you, as you. Be aware, be awake. So we've run out of time. Thank you for staying with this. And as always, we like to consider the being together, sharing a little Dharma, 
confessing our delusions, all that uh, may have had some use, some benefit, may have accrued some blessing, some merit, and we gladly, remembering that we don't exist apart from, from all of life, from nature, we gladly share the blessings of our practice with a deep wish that all beings can have happiness, peace, the causes of happiness and peace. All beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. That all beings can know the nature of the unborn mind, know the sacred happiness that's without sorrow here and now as you and never stray away from that. Deep wish that all beings can grow in, in serenity, not be swayed by outer circumstances, be steady and strong and free. A deep wish that our, our life and our practice every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around. Feel free to unmute and say good night to each other. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.